You are listening to the fourth episode of Unwelcome Visitor, Pandemic in the UK's Playground, a podcast series taking a look at the events of the past 12 months. Each week, we will speak to a variety of guests and look at what life in lockdown has been like for those living in Devon and Cornwall. This week, we'll be taking a look at the hidden cost of COVID, speaking to those who have had a unique experience during lockdown, such as women who have given birth at the height of the pandemic, and those who have had to adapt their work to suit COVID restrictions. When lockdown restrictions first came into effect, the country was told to stay at home in order to stay safe. But what was the pandemic like for those living on the streets? My name's Dave Brown. I'm the fundraising and communications manager with St Petrox. St Petrox is a charity uh, based in Cornwall, and we're here to support, uh, find accommodation for, and provide various support services for homeless people in the county. I mean, we started, um, didn't we, back in uh, March 2020 with a, a looming situation on our hands, and uh, we had a, a meeting and we decided to introduce social distancing in our uh, uh, centres. That was two weeks before um, the government introduced the lockdown and social distancing themselves. And I think we were at advantage with uh, having NHS in our building. So the clients, first of all, um, were, I think, slightly mystified as to what was going on. I mean, some knew and some didn't. Um, but fairly rapidly, um, those who were um, forced to uh, sleep rough uh, in Truro, Penzance, or wherever they were, started noticing a, a real decrease in uh, the amount of people that were around shops closing all around them public conveniences closing so their access to information about what was going on decreased rapidly and we had to become their primary source of information for those living on the streets general practices such as washing hands and keeping up to date with restrictions was a struggle some of them were were very frightened um, it was uh, quite terrifying for most of us, I think. But when we were all being able to stay at home and those people didn't have a home to stay in, the, the advice was, you know, making things even more frightening for them. Uh, they were unable to wash their hands because all the public loos were closing. Um, so we became sort of more and more important to, um, to those people that were uh, outside. David has seen firsthand how difficult the pandemic has been for those living in Cornwall and is thankful that the charity has been able to support those who have needed it. I mean, over the last year, we've supported over a thousand people in Cornwall who've contacted us regarding some kind of housing issue. We've managed to get 424 people uh, into uh, move on accommodation, into uh, being rehoused, so 424 people rehoused, um, assisted by us over the last 12 months, all through the pandemic. We've kept everything open. Um, so all our accommodation, all of our, uh, both of our resource centres, that's Breadline in Penzance and Nutrua Resource Centre, we've kept our uh, Freshfield Drug and Alcohol Counselling Service open, and we've kept our outreach services, um, we've kept them outreaching. We were able to you know, give out food to um, up to 170 people a day. So that's the people in their housing uh, and the people that were sleeping rough at the time. 
uh, as well as some people who uh, ended up in accommodation without um, enough money to feed themselves. While lockdown progressed, more people became homeless because of the pandemic. You ended up with a real kind of uh, a backlog of people in temporary accommodation uh, and a steady amount of people that were still uh, forced to sleep, sleep rough. The last two or three months, we've seen an increase in uh, our numbers of, of people becoming homeless. We can't yet say whether that's due to winter and the winter coming to an end or whether it's due to lockdown coming to an end. Um, time will tell. Most people are predicting a downturn in the economy um, due to this, and a downturn in the economy normally results in, a, in an upsurge in the amount of people who end up sleeping rough. We will always need more support. Um, as a charity, um, you know, we're, we're always very busy, and we always you know, spend the money that we're given on, on, on delivering those services. There will be unforeseen extra costs coming in, um, if we have an up, upsurge in homeless people um, coming on to, uh, into rough sleeping. And um, the help of the community, uh, local fundraising, uh, national grant bodies, uh, uh, and all of those sources um, will be uh, incredibly helpful to us, I'm sure, over the next year or so. The pandemic has been a difficult and unique experience for everyone living in Devon and Cornwall. But for Sophie, who was preparing to give birth to her first child, the arrival of COVID meant that her partner David was not able to support her during the early stages of labour. My name's Sophie and I gave birth um, on July the 19th um, in the RD&E in Exeter um, and then spent a few days afterwards in the midwife-led unit in Tiverton. I suppose the, the main thing for me was just being alone. You know, that, that was a fear all, all the way through the sort of from March onwards when it all sort of started that I would be alone. So, yeah, so I, I went in first thing on the Saturday morning at about 8 a.m. and and was in, induced, um, which didn't do anything most of the day. But I wasn't allowed back out of the hospital because obviously I'd had my COVID swab and I had to stay there um, in the room. So it was well over 12 hours because I don't think I actually went into labour until 10 p.m that evening so I was yeah just sat in that room on my own until obviously my water's broken and 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 they could phone him so yeah that that was I was okay because I wasn't in massive pain but I was you know very apprehensive about it could happen any second and I'm on my own and there was nobody you know I didn't see anybody all day there was nobody in and out the ward that I was there was no other ladies in the room that I was in so yeah, that, that was the biggest thing for me, I think, was being on my own. And then, yeah, obviously they had to phone David, but they said he had to be four centimetres and, and and you couldn't, he couldn't come until then. But, you know, she said, oh, you're only two centimetres, but I was in like the most pain I've ever been in in my life. And she was telling me, oh, we can't ring him yet. We can't ring him yet. And so I think, yeah, for me, that that was the main thing was, was being on my own in that time when, especially as a first time parent, it's so scary and you don't know what to expect. Sophie appreciates the hard work of the staff at the hospital, who did their best to support the couple during these unusual circumstances. After giving birth, Sophie once again had to say goodbye to David. You know, the midwives, to be fair, that were looking after me were, were fantastic. And they, um, you know, they tried to hang on in that labour room as long as they could with us 
to so that me and David could spend time and um, with the baby but you know they said look we, you know you really have to go now and as soon as you go out of that room and up onto the labor ward that's it he had to go he couldn't spend any time you know so he he left god knows knowing when he would be allowed back in because you know if i'd have had to stay in and then yeah i went up onto the labor ward and that was it i just didn't see a midwife or anybody again for hours because they were just so short-staffed. Sophie was later transferred to Tiverton Midwife Centre. She says that the support offered there was vital in the early days of motherhood. I um, wanted to go home but they weren't happy to send me home because we weren't established with feeding yet so we um, compromised obviously on being sent to the Tiverton Midwife Centre which that was just fantastic like it, it was amazing and I think that's the only reason why I did recover and you know quite well and, and we've had this fantastic feeding journey was because of the time that they had to set you know spend with me they were amazing I owe them everything because of you know the time that they got to spend with me and because I at, at one point when I got transferred there I was the only person there you see so I just got one-on-one care and it was it was fantastic and it is exactly what you need after you've had a baby is you know people helping you and because you've just no idea what what's you know what's just happened to you and what you're doing and so yeah that that was definitely one of the more positives well for Sophie being alone during the early stages of labor was extremely difficult Nicola who also gave birth during the pandemic had a different experience completely. I'm Nicola and I gave birth on the 12th of July 2020 at the RDE in Exeter when she arrived at the hospital in July 2020, Nicola was given some options. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my experience was quite different. So I had quite a long labour, um, but my partner was um, allowed in from the start. But we were told, so we were put into this uh, this tiny, tiny room and they were basically said, you know, he can stay with you. Um, but he's not allowed to leave this room. You're not allowed to leave this room. Basically, this is your little bubble and you are, you stay there basically. And so the impact that had for us is we had, we weren't able to bring our things in from the car. So, you know, like your, your books, uh, you know, you have your, your activities. I had like birth balls, things like that. All of that just stayed out in the car. And this tiny room that we'd been put in, you couldn't even sort of move around in. There was literally a bed and that was it, uh, and a small toilet off the side of it. And so all of this plan about, you know, moving around in labour and using the balls and using, you know, different techniques and different positions just totally went out the window because it was a case of you can stay in this room with your husband or we can put you onto a ward with other women um, and then you can move around. And it was sort of in that moment having him with me was more important. Nicola says that she spent a lot of time preparing for labour during her pregnancy, but was unable to use the technique she had practised when the time came. Being in labour and having a Covid test was was really horrible. Um, I know it's a small thing, but it it, it didn't feel like a small thing at the time. Um, but I think for me, it was the, the anxiety. I'd, I'd done a lot of... Um, 
the, yeah. the, the powerlessness I think is is the thing that surprised me I had done loads of research on you know being an empowered and you know having my birth uh in a way that you know I felt strong and I felt womanly and I felt like you know it was going to be this really amazing event which it was but at the same time I as the second I went into the hospital I felt like all of my power had been taken away because of COVID because I didn't know what was going to happen I didn't know how long Jason would be with me I didn't know how long uh he was going to be allowed to stay with me I didn't know what was going to happen after the birth I just it automatically the second I walked through the hospital doors I felt like my power had been taken away you know you, you couldn't leave the room but also you couldn't have so so I'd brought um clothes for a few days and I just completely ran out of clothes but we couldn't leave to get more or couldn't have somebody come and drop clothes off um and then uh, my partner wasn't entitled to any food so we he we'd run out of food we didn't have any food for him so he was basically sharing the food that I ate from the hospital and it was it was just felt like I mean I'm sure it changed but because it was sort of you know during the first lockdown and I think things was really unsure and it depended on who was in charge of the unit at that time as to sort of what was going on so I was felt really lucky on the one hand that I had Jason with me but then looking back in hindsight the ability of not being able to go and get that stuff from the car not being able to move around not being able to just you know not worry I guess I think the anxiety was the biggest thing was because the fear was somebody was going to say right something terrible's happened covid said you know there's new re registration or something like that um there was just all of this anxiety around it and then not being able to have your you know the home comforts that you brought with you not being able to get a fresh pair of clothes when you needed it and stuff like that it was just the level of anxiety was just always there it was a really uncomfortable unpleasant situation to be in the work of politicians was propelled into the forefront of the public's eye during the pandemic. Ben Bradshaw is MP for Exeter. He has been very vocal in his views of lockdown and how the government has handled the pandemic. My name is Ben Bradshaw. And I'm the Labour, Ex Labour MP for Exeter. Uh, there were sort of reports in the media uh, about this uh, mysterious uh, virus um, before that. And I, I think, you know, we were so uh, wrapped up in the aftermath of the uh, general election and and Brexit at the time, but um, you, you know I I I think you know we we weren't as a country and this is not a criticism of the government but as a country were we weren't very quick to um, realise what was coming to hit us uh, and I also think um, and this again is 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 substantiated by the evidence and the data that um, the the breach of the rules by the Prime Minister's chief advisor Dominic Cummings very early on and the Prime Minister's failure to take any action against him was when the public mood really changed from one of trusting the government and compliance to a complete loss of trust in the government and relatively low compliance. And we've been living with the consequences of that ever since. Uh, I mean, I think, um, I think the only thing that has been reasonably successful has been the uh, the economic support package but even that has been full of holes with millions of people left without the support they need 
but the actual response to the pandemic has been shambolic, um, uh, unpredictable. Uh, it's veered all over the place. For some, the pandemic has given them time to slow down and enjoy forgotten hobbies and passions. My name's Ruben, Ruben Lankovic, and I run the Ruben Lankovic Art Gallery in Devon in Tynmouth. I specialise in uh, the paintings of my father, who was a somewhat controversial painter called Robert Lankovic, who was based in Plymouth. I think there'll be a reappreciation of normality in a way as we come out of this. I think, I hope that people will reassess what's important and what's um, and the trivial things in life. So many people have suffered and, you know, how serious this has been. And the role of art, I think, is is so important in the appreciation of beauty, life, colour um, and music, you know. And so I think when we are doing all those things again, people will enjoy it on a, a more meaningful level, perhaps. Um, I also hope that we reassess how we, you know, treat nature and all of those things, yeah. While some were reigniting old passions, thousands of parents across the country were picking up textbooks and adapting to the world of homeschooling. In the first lockdown last year, uh, I'm going to say right now I cried every single day and I drank wine every single day, which I don't think is that unusual for many parents right now, especially of parents with young children. Helen Copson is a journalist and mum to three. Um, my biggest problem in the first lockdown last year was, um, sad to say, my, my twins. They were only two. Um, terrible twos has got nothing on my pair. They are quite naughty, quite cheeky. They egg each other on um, like nobody's business. And every time I left them to do a bit of homeschooling with Thomas, they would be drawing felt upon the walls. They'd be drawing felt up all over each other's faces, um, spilling everything, do, doing all sorts, really. I think I've almost blocked it from my mind, actually. One of the main problems with that was that Thomas, the five-year-old, would want to obviously go and join in. So whatever I would do to help get them kind of active occupied albeit even if it was just the tv thomas would want to go and do that so it was a real struggle trying to pull him back and say come on we've got to go and do your maths or this or that um so that there was a lot of tears all round really um thomas would cry because i would try and get him to do any work i would cry because i was just so fed up with it all i'm not a teacher i'm not patient i don't do numbers very well um and the frustration of it was just the hardest part i think Helen says that her experiences during the most recent lockdown have been better, but she's worried about the effects of the pandemic on her children. This lockdown has been easier because of um, preschools have been open. So the twins have been able to go there two days a week, which has been a godsend. And also we've had a childcare bubble this, this time around, which obviously we couldn't last time with my mum and dad um, who live in Plymouth. So my twins have been going there one day a week as well, which has been amazing. So I've had three three days where I can just crack on with the homeschooling with Thomas and it makes such a big difference. I mean, he still doesn't want to do it. I still don't want to do it. But there's not been that distraction with with Toby and Isaac get, um, you know, getting up to no good. The, uh, admittedly, they're a year older, so they are a little bit more, well, slightly better behaved, I'd say. They're not drawing on the walls, put it that way. But 
they're they're just they're bored and they they need the attention they're three years old so and and you end up feeling quite guilty that you're not giving them that attention because you're trying to do stupid phonics videos or number bonds whatever the hell that is um with a five-year-old you're then trying to do some work around it um i mean i'm lucky that i'm i freelance and my my main job is actually my blog so i can do that around homeschooling i do it in the evenings and do it at weekends um it's meant that obviously i'm up late every night doing stuff like that but i am I've, i do feel lucky that i've got that kind of that kind of job that i can do whereas a lot of my friends are um are trying to work full-time as well as homeschool they've not been you know able to send their children to school because they haven't got the right kind of job um and they're pulling their hair out so yeah it's not it's not a situation i'd like to repeat anytime soon he's said a few are they in and i'm not that's not fair i really want to go back i want him to go back he's missing out on so much and i know people like friends who's whose children have gone and they say oh it is it is you know it's not the same as normal school and I totally get that I know it's not um they are doing the same work as we're being set but as far as I'm concerned they have a teacher and they have two teaching assistants there who are trained to to teach them these phonics or the maths or whatever I'm not trained to do that and a five-year-old doesn't want their mum to teach them the, the, a five-year-old wants their teacher to teach them so I do really feel quite strongly that our children that have been at home have been massively disadvantaged by this whole situation. And it's a it's a social thing as well, you know. Those children in school are sat there with, you know, 10, 15 other children. They're playing with each other and chatting to each other and having all that banter. And, you know, our poor children are at home. I mean, I'm lucky he's got two brothers to play with, but friends that have got only children, they're not seeing anybody else and this is massive having a massive effect on them it's it's just it's heartbreaking really it's heartbreaking for everybody the pandemic has had an effect on the mental health of thousands in the southwest pete and bridie run the mindset project a well-being gym in plymouth that helps people with their physical and mental health we basically encourage movement at the mindset project um, we're encouraging activity not just in the gym but outside whether it's walks, um, cycling, going to the park. Um, and obviously it does include going to the gym if that's your thing. And there's a lot of benefits to, to strength and fitness work, um, as well as the people that you can actually meet in the gym. We do get a lot of weight loss journeys, a lot of transformation uh, results, etc. But for us, the big, the big measures, um, like our wellbeing group with our stroke survivors, their coordination, uh, their strength, their resilience, and their, their rehabilitation process for us is, is absolutely remarkable. Um, we've had some guys refer to us through various mental health routes. And again, another a proud stat that we have is is the amount of people that not only um, go through and, and finish the project, but they carry on their journey of fitness and exercise. And uh, more often than not, they get themselves back to work and uh they're back managing their life a little little stress-free, if you like, and uh, managing managing day-to-day tasks a lot easier. We're always looking to add to the projects. We're also looking to put on more more days of what we currently deliver for, for any type of person, really. Bridie says that the first lockdown had a huge effect on how they were able to support people struggling in Plymouth. One of the biggest challenges we faced this year and probably very similar to a number of people was obviously the the kind of first lockdown. 
It meant that we had to close the gym. It meant that we had to stop offering kind of one-to-ones, group training. And basically, it meant that we had to stop working. However, what we soon established was that taking um, our work online and providing a group. So throughout the first lockdown, we had a group of over 300 members in the end, um, who we still have now, um, on Facebook. And we put together a timetable. So we were running live workouts every day or every other day. um, And that was being followed by individuals. It was giving people the opportunity to get up, to to get moving first thing in the morning and, and kind of set them up for the day, really. We recognised that being in lockdown was a very challenging time for many people, ourselves included. Um, And I think it's important to recognise that for some people, it may be the first time that they'd experienced a decline in their their mental health and well-being. Um, I would say to anybody that feels that they have noticed a decline in their mental health, particularly during this time, is to find and reach out to to somewhere where where you feel like you would like to get support from. So, for example, there are a number of places we ourselves obviously have our have the gym. We offer um, online services too. There's a fantastic website local to Plymouth called Marbles Lost and Found, and that has an array of services um, that it signposts to there's groups such as Andy's Man's Club which is a focus for men to have a have a chat to other men about their their own mental health and their experiences and there's various services around where the emphasis is on helping support you during times like this if you do feel that things are are difficult for you and you are particularly concerned about your mental well-being, there are people that you can reach out and talk to. It's it's important to recognise that you're not alone. It may be that it's the first time you've felt this way, um, but there is help and there is support out there. And and please don't be afraid to, to get in contact with people who might be able to help you. You have been listening to Unwelcome Visitor, pandemic in the UK's playground. Next week, we'll be speaking to those who have had COVID, as well as health experts and funeral directors, to learn more about how the virus affected those living in Devon and Cornwall. If you have a story to tell, get in touch via our Devon Live, Plymouth Live or Cornwall Live Facebook pages.